Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all. Hey, Aaron, do you mind bringing the lights up now? Thank you. Or Daniel's got it. Um, hey, there's some, uh, the clipboards are going around. Ben's handing these out right now um, with just some of our uh, things coming up. Um, so be sure to flip through that. There are multiple pages of opportunities to do that. Um, and uh, hopefully it'll get around. Our seating's kind of weird, but it's cool. Um, I just want to welcome you all. Thanks for joining us today. Rachel's family, it's good to see you all. Um, and Maddie, good to see you today too, being back today. So um, just really glad after having a couple weeks off to just see y'all's faces and be able to have breakfast and everything together today. Um, I'm Adam, by the way. I'm one of the campus ministers here. Uh, so if any of you didn't know that, that's okay too. Um, we have been going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus talking about, about the ways of the kingdom, um, that he is, you know, walking through these things, and, and we're going we're gonna to look back at this briefly, but there's all these moments where he's like, you've heard it was said, but I say to you, and it's this like motive thing that he's getting back to, making sure that we're, we're not just about like fulfilling um, these this kind of checklist of rules and like staying away from specific things, but that the motive in our hearts is about loving God and loving people throughout the things that we are doing and the things that we're being obedient and in the ways that we're trying to stay pure. Um, and I'm really, I'm just really glad to jump back into this today. And this is a, this is one that, um, is tough. Uh, at the root of it, I think we can. Um, I think we can read these words from Jesus. We can quote these words. Um, we can have them in our brain, and also not practice them really, like not really be be practically applying these things um, because it's difficult. Um, a lot of these things uh, that we've looked at, you know, that Ben's talked through, that I've talked through that we've read, um, we need to make sure we're not just like, yeah, yeah, that's like what you're supposed to do, but then not like follow through on it. Um, and this is one that I think there's some heart work when we really think about it today um, that we may need to do about the way that we react and about the way we interact with people. Um, so just as a little exercise this morning, it's going to be fun. I, I want you all to think about how you would react in a few circumstances um, and there may be some, like, maybe we need to come up with some circumstances in our minds if this doesn't resonate with you. Um, or maybe how you've reacted in the past if these things have happened, okay? Um, how would you react if you were driving along and someone just, like, cut you off in traffic and then it was their fault and they gave you a rude hand gesture as they passed, blaming it on you and sped away? Like, what would your feelings be in that oh people are answering that's awesome angry okay you, you, this can just be in your head if you want okay um you may want to keep it in your head um how would you react if someone you were in a group project with at school or maybe work and they did nothing but then took all the credit at the end what would your thought be how would you react if Maybe someone in your family attacked you verbally. How would you react if you were gossiped about 
betrayed or emotionally wounded by someone close to you. It's in our nature, I think, to react defensively in those situations, right? Like we, we want to um, defend ourselves at probably the least. We want vengeance at the greatest, you know, in these situations where little and big, those things well up inside of us. Um, I think we often fight naturally. We kind of fight fire with fire by attacking back or maybe reacting poorly um, or talking about these people in ways that's disparaging. Um, maybe we vent to other people about what's going on um, and gossip back in the same way. Often our nature, when it comes to interacting with people that have like hurt us or have disappointed us or have been hostile to us, um, is that we just like either strike back or we even like isolate and act like these people don't exist. Um, and that's the way of our broken nature, and it's rooted in what Paul calls the patterns of this world in Romans 12 too. If you look in that, that whole thing, he's like, he's like uh, no longer conform to the patterns of this world. And this is a pattern of the world that is ingrained in our broken nature, is to have that reaction, that defensiveness, that striking back, fight fire with fire kind of situation. But that isn't the way of the kingdom that Jesus lays out. And that's hard because it's so natural for us to get even. He calls us to something countercultural and counter to our nature. And, and, it, and I think, like, looking at this, it's a core mentality and a lifestyle of the follower of Jesus is to act in the way that he, he calls us to today. So let's pray. I just want to pray that God would move in maybe some of these interactions that we have. Lord, um, we love you and we praise you. Um, you are holy and awesome and wonderful, and we thank you so much for the mercy that you have on us. We thank you for your grace, that you give us life and restoration in you, and this is a hard teaching. This is hard to practice when we're in the crossfire, when we're, we've been the ones that have been injured. Um, but I pray that we would live like you, Jesus, that we would live like you call us to, and just asking Holy Spirit you to move today in our lives. Maybe there's things that we need to work through, things that we need to heal in, forgive in, um, maybe even confront, maybe ways that we need to ask forgiveness if we've been the injuring party. I, um, but I just pray that you help us to work through this and actually practice the way of your kingdom here and not just know it mentally. Um, so we give you this time, and, and I just pray that you, you do a work in our hearts today. Amen. Uh, let's look at Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. If you use version again, there are notes up there. Um, you can flip and, and like follow along, go to the hamburger, go to events, CSF, and that'll, that'll get you there. Um, and we have paper Bibles around too. But Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you, so that you may prove yourselves to be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors 
do they not do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Even the Gentiles, do they not do the same? Therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And this is like a recap. I kind of mentioned this a minute ago, but this is all, all of this in chapter 5 falls under a filter or goes through a filter and falls under the umbrella of what we saw in like 17 through 20, right at the beginning of all this stuff, right after the Beatitudes, Jesus is talking and he's like, don't presume I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill. He's teaching us what the fulfillment of the law looks like and showing us what that looks like in him. But then he goes on to say, for I say to you, then unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Just, again, a huge statement. It's like the scribes and Pharisees are being held in this place of like, man, they're the ones that have it going on spiritually here. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Our righteousness has to surpass that. The motive, the motive in our hearts has to be more than just like, oh, I didn't touch that. It has to go farther. The, the way of the kingdom is this surpassing righteousness that's about motive. Um, kind of going through the stuff, we don't just not have sex outside of marriage, but we're intentional about not objectifying others in our minds. We don't just not murder others, but we also get a grip on our anger with them. And the list goes on. We've talked through all this stuff. But Jesus tells us that the two greatest points of obedience when following him are regarding love. Loving the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, and loving our neighbor as ourself. Loving people sacrificially. So Jesus here calls his people to love others that are hostile to us. To love others that would consider us their enemy. Just as much as we care for our family and friends. And this is the countercultural way of the kingdom. And it's hard. Um, so when Jesus says, you've heard it was said, um, he's referring back to Leviticus 19, 18, okay? All the way back in the Torah, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. We have that love your neighbor as yourself part. I am the Lord, remembering who he is and who they are and how they're supposed to not bear a grudge, to not, not do these things, to uh, not seek revenge, but to love our neighbor as ourself. And, and we can see here, I find it interesting, there isn't anything about hating your enemy in this, right? This is an interesting point once we, we're getting through this. It's interesting to my nerd self here, at least. All, all so far, we've seen exact like quotes but Jesus is like, you've heard it says, love your neighbor as yourself but, and hate your enemy. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But that, that's not in this. There had been a cultural addition to this thing in the interpretation of this whole thing about like, yeah, we're supposed to hate those who hate us, right? But Jesus flips this. Um, there, there seemed to be something added or assumed. And when Jesus talks about loving your neighbor as yourself in Luke 10... Um, which you can check out if you want. There, there's this interest from the crowd about like, okay, 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 I get that, I get that. Love your neighbor's self, but like, what's the line? Like, who is my neighbor? Just so I'm clear about who I can love 
and who I can hate. You know, and that, that's what the crowd, that's what he's getting these questions about in Luke 10. Where's the line in the sand? Who can I include and who do I exclude? Jesus, though, he tells a parable in Luke 10 there. And the Cliff Notes version is, if you interact with somebody, they're your neighbor. If you're interacting with somebody, you love them as my, as my people. That, that's what he gets down to. Show them love and care. And I think there's three facets of this in my mind from what Jesus says about the way of the kingdom in regard to people that would consider us an enemy um, that I want to make, make point of. And the first one is this. Uh, loving our enemies sets us apart. Loving our enemies is a thing that sets us apart as people of, who follow Jesus. Um, in verse 46 that we read, again, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors who were looked down as very sinful, um, don't they even do that? Don't they even love the people that love them? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than anyone else? Even the Gentiles do this. Um, the idea here is that it's not sacrificial love to love easy to love people. It's not sacrificial love to love those who love and bless us as well and just have that reciprocal thing. It's not hard to love those that love us back. It's not hard to care for those who are fun to be around. The, the drive and ability to love the unloved and the hostile marks the people of God as different to the world around us. Um, everybody loves the people who love them. It's something different to love your enemy. And that, that's a clue that something's different in us than, it is, than, than is in the world. Um, it reveals a change of heart and a change of mind that doesn't react with getting even or cutting someone out when we're hurt. Showing care and goodwill for those who would be against us sets us apart as different. The second thing is that, that Jesus says is loving our enemies gives space for reconciliation and change. Um, and other, other places in Scripture that feed into this thing. Um, specifically, I want to point out like Romans 12, um, which I started to talk about earlier. Romans 12, 17, though, Paul is talking about these teachings of Christ. He's getting into what we do as followers of Jesus on a really uh, practical level. And he's like, don't repay anyone evil for evil. That looks a lot like Leviticus 19:18 rephrased. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. Don't bear a grudge. Don't have revenge. My dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, and there's a quote here from Proverbs 25, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil by good. Don't overcome evil with evil, with fire fighting fire, but overcome evil with good. And you may be like, wait, what? Like, revenge? Taking care of someone who's done evil to me? What's with the burning coals? Like, what, what is this all about? What's happening here? 
Paul here, looking back on the teachings of Jesus and, and further back into Proverbs, he's reminding us that, that peace and reconciliation are always the goal. That's the hope. That's the desire. God brought reconciliation into the world through Christ. And in other places, it's like you've been, you've been made ministers of reconciliation to bring that into the world as well. Peace and reconciliation are always the goal, even in situations where people are hostile to each other. That's the goal. Um, that we are to trust that God has things in his hands rather than taking matters into our own. To trust in justice that restores rather than one that gets vengeance. Um, the burning coals thing that Paul references from Proverbs um, are always interesting but again, it's, it's not about bringing, for a long time I was like, man, that's like kind of vengeful in itself. But again, it's not, the connotation there is not about like bringing pain to someone. The connotation is bringing conviction. Like I am going to do good to those that have done bad to me. And there's going to be a possibility of conviction and repentance there as a change of heart happens. That's the hope. That's the burning, the burning there, um, bringing conviction and repentance about by goodwill towards someone else. If we respond to hostility with hostility, things will always escalate. There's no like the, I always think about like Hatfields and McCoys. You guys know that, that like story at all? I'm getting a lot of blank stares, so maybe some people understand that. It's like the two families they're like fighting. Nobody knows why you're even fighting anymore. You can't even remember what, what happened at the beginning, but it escalated so much that you're killing each other by the end. Um, that, that's like how vengeance against hostility always, where, that's where it leads. There's always this escalation of striking back. There's a snowball effect of bitterness and hate. But if we meet hostility with love, with, with goodwill, with care, if we can do that, there's an opportunity for restoration and for change in the relationship. Now, kind of like taking a little step out for a second, I think it's really important in these things to remember in the midst of all of this, okay, there are situations where um, there's like caveats <laughs> to, to this stuff. And, and what, I, what I mean by this is none of this is to say that we, like none of it's to say that we just like let people continually, we like don't put ourselves in a position to just get run over constantly, even in that forgiveness and even in that goodwill. Um, and there, there may be uh, situations where we need to remove ourselves um, None of this is to say that we let people run over us or that we simply like meet abuse with patient suffering. That's not what's being said here. Um, there are times, particularly in, in abusive situations, that what is needed is to remove yourself from the situation. And there are times that a person needs, someone needs to meet justice for what they've done. Um, th those are very true things. Um, but if we're followers of Jesus, we still have this job, and this is like probably the tougher part. We still have this job of like being obedient in, in 
still bringing love and care and loving your enemy in the midst of that. Okay. So there's, that's a tough thing. And I get that, but I want to be clear. It's not just like, all right, we're supposed to be long-suffering in horrible situations. I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. But we do have some hard work to do even in those places. This love that Jesus is speaking of, the, the one for our enemies, it's agape love. If you've ever heard people talk about the different Greek, they have all these different words for love. Agape is a sacrificial, God-like love where you sacrifice on the behalf of other people. Um, I want to read here, um, a couple times I'm going to just read from um, William Barclay, uh, just some things that I thought were, were poignant this week. Speaking about agape love. Agape doesn't mean a feeling of the heart, which we cannot help, and which comes unbidden and unsought. It means a determination of the mind, whereby we achieve the unconquerable goodwill even to those who hurt and injure us. Agape, someone has said, is the power to love those whom we do not like and who may not like us. In point of fact, we can only have agape when Jesus Christ enables us to conquer our natural tendency towards anger and bitterness and to achieve this invincible goodwill to all men. That's the thing, thing about agape love is that it's not just like, there's like the romantic love or, or even like just friendship love that sometimes it's like it comes and goes and it wanes and it, it like, it's like we can't really control that sometimes, but agape love is like, I am going to set my will to care about these people. Like that, that is how this, there's determination in it. Um, they're sticking to it. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. Um, the, the third piece here is loving our enemies shows us to be children of God. Um, in verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may prove yourselves to be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. This comes from the mouth of the one who hangs on the cross and says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He's dying, he's being murdered on a cross, and he is praying for forgiveness of his murderers. And he's the one that calls us to this as well. To prove ourselves to be sons and daughters of our Father through the way we love our enemies. Um, We're shown to be God's kids by trust and by imitation in regard to loving our enemies. Nothing sums up the way of the kingdom of interacting with people more than this. God shows an impartial attitude of goodwill to all people, whether they love him or not. Uh, if we go back to like Psalm uh, 145, David writes this, this point, and he's, he talks about God giving blessings to all people. Uh, Psalm 145, 15, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. There's this idea of like universal goodwill that God has on all people. Jesus puts it, he sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God blesses all his people and we're shown to be his if we do the same. He's the ultimate lover of enemies. He does not call us to do anything that he has not done. Um, Some more words from Paul in Colossians 1.21 talks about our 
the fact that we were enemies and that God still loved us and acted on our behalf. Paul says this, he says, once you were alienated from God and you were hostile in your minds because of your evil deeds, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, this includes you who were once far away from God, you were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. But now, but now, but now, he has reconciled you made things right by God's physical, Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's a gospel message right there, but that is this point of we all were enemies and God made the way. He took the step to love us who were his enemies. There's another place in Romans 5 that always hit strongly for me. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's the lover of enemies. While we were enemies of God, he made a way for us to be restored, to have reconciled a relationship, and to have peace. And we're called to live out that way as his people. To live out the kingdom way. So how this plays out, practi- plays out practically comes out in two different ways. And it comes out in reactive love and it comes out in proactive love. The way we react to situations and the way that we intentionally move in relationships. Um, and the reactive love is this, is maturity and giving mercy. At that very end, you know, verse 48, he's like, uh, Jesus is like, um, Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that, that's a little scary to me. Anybody else feel that? Maybe not. I don't know. See some smirks. Um, that's a little scary. Like, I don't, that, I'm not living up to that. Sorry. Like, that, that's perfect. It's impossible. One thing, though, in this is that like, we don't have adequate words, <laughs> really. Um, and I, I would, uh, the connotation there moving towards perfect is mature, complete, um, wanting nothing. That's the way that we imitate God's love in a way that's mature and complete and wanting nothing. Um, when Luke gives this teaching, he actually, he actually uses the word merciful, which I find interesting. Luke 6.35, it's kind of the same teaching. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons and daughters of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And Luke and um, Matthew used two different words there, but, but I find it interesting in that, that our reactive love in the face of hostility is to be like our Father in heaven. Slow to anger, we're told. God is abounding in love, meeting people with mercy instead of retribution. It's about loving in the way that we were intended to. Um, William Barclay again here says... Uh, The Greek word for perfect is teleos, 
Um, this word is often used in Greek in a very special way. It's got nothing to do with what we might call abstract, philosophical, or metaphysical perfection. A victim which is fit, a victim which is fit for a sacrifice to God, that is a victim which is without blemish or teleos. Uh, a man who has reached his full-grown stature is teleos in contradiction to a half-grown person. Uh, a student who has reached a mature knowledge of the subject is teleos, as opposed to a learner who is just beginning and who has yet no grasp of things. To put it another way, the Greek idea of perfection is functional. A thing is perfect if it fully realizes the purpose for which it was planned and designed and made. In point of fact, that meaning is involved in the derivation of the word. Teleos is the adjective formed from the noun telos. Telos means the end, a purpose, an aim, a goal. A thing is teleos if it realizes the purpose for which it was planned. A person is perfect if they realize the purpose for which they were created and sent into the world. So as we're perfect, as our Heavenly Father is perfect, that means we are living up to the purposes that God has for us. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And, and the purpose that we, God has for us is to meet the world with love and reconciliation and hope as his people. The other piece of this is, is proactive love, doing good and praying for. And again, it's in this agape situation. This, all throughout, we're talking about agape, sacrificial, determined love. Where, where reactive love is in the face of like an active hostility toward us, like in the moment, proactive love is in the face of maybe ongoing hostility. There has been a relationship broken. There is tension within it. There is hostility. How do we meet that? How do we meet that with love for our enemies? If you know, uh, you know someone that has something against you, the call of Jesus is to pray for them and to do good for them in spite of animosity. That's the call for God's people. He says, pray for those who persecute you. That's the Matthew passage. Pray for those who persecute you. And in Luke, he says, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. There's even this like, aspect of generosity that Luke is, is recording from Jesus. Again, this is counter to the culture that says, strike back. Get revenge. Build up a group that can also be against them. Shun them. Act like they don't exist. That's, that's the cultural and that's the natural in the midst of enemies. But Jesus instead tells us the way of his kingdom is to pray for people that are against us. I wonder how much of that's about changing our own hearts. Like if, if we pray for people who are against us, something happens here as well. We get soft to, and to, and in a good way. We soften to reconciliation. We soften to love if we're doing that. To actively do good to them and even give generously to them is the call. So that's proactive love. It's the love of God. But, but none of this is possible, um, unfortunately, for whatever, if, if that's the right word. We can't do this on our own. It's not under our own power. 
we can put things into motion, but the thing that we need is the Holy Spirit working in our lives to do this. We need Jesus moving. And I guess I do have one more Barclay thing here. Um, He says this, Only the grace of Jesus Christ can enable a person to have this unconquerable benevolence and this invincible goodwill in their personal relationships with other people. It is only when Christ lives in our hearts that bitterness will die and this love spring to life. It's often said that in this world, that that this world would be perfect if only people would live according to the principles of the Sermon on the Mount. But the plain fact is that no one can even begin to live according to these principles without the help of Jesus Christ. We need Christ to enable us to obey Christ's command. Only the grace of Jesus. Only with the power of Jesus can this love be a reality in our life. Only if we allow the Holy Spirit to move in us is this going to come about. Um, Paul tells the Galatians, you know, it's like the fruit of the Spirit is, and there's many, but the first thing he says is love. Fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all these things. Fruit of the Spirit is love. And it goes on to tell the Corinthian church what that looks like, which, again, if you've ever been to a wedding, I'm sure you've heard this. Love is patient. Don't be numb to this, what I'm about to read, because you hear it at every wedding you ever go to, okay? Please. Like, this is important. And it's hard, honestly. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. Think about this in situations where someone's hostile to you. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. And it always perseveres. My prayer in this is that we would be open and we'd be moved to a kingdom-driven love that extends mercy both like reactively in the moment and also proactively in situations that may be bigger than us to anyone we come in contact with. And in so doing that we honor the Lord and we show the world who we belong to. Um, So let's pray. I I just want to pray a minute for just God's work in our hearts as we work toward that. Um, Jesus, um, I personally find this to be difficult in practice. Um, It's hard to let things go sometimes. Um, It's hard to not think about self when we're hurt. Um, I pray for your help. I pray for your power for all of us that we would rely on you, that we would trust in you and that you would do a work in us, Lord. If, if there are situations in our lives, um, 
where reconciliation is needed, um, where forgiveness is needed, um, where there's hostility. Help us to do the things that would bring love and just good into those situations. Help us to imitate you. And um, I pray that you just would like just overwhelm us with the life and vitality that that brings into situations. Um, that you would do literal miracles in relationships through just a small extension of, of love that's determined to care and determined to, to restore. Um, so I just ask you, Holy Spirit, to work in us, to clear out the junk that maybe is holding us back in those situations, to help us to be like you. Um, we love you, Jesus, and we thank you that you first loved us, that while we were still enemies of you, that you went to the cross. And I just pray that you help us to be ministers and, and people of reconciliation. Um, so we love you. Amen.